be a reading this morning from Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. But God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is God's word. My name's Nick. For those of you I don't know, uh, I'm one of the ministers here. Um, we should probably start by praying, shouldn't we? Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you so much for these words. Thank you that these words do shine hope into our human condition. And I pray that now you'd be with us, you'd lift our eyes to see that hope clearly, whether we've seen it many times before or whether it's the first time this morning. Amen. Um, we're actually just going to be looking at uh, two verses there, verse 14 and 15, that we're really going to be focusing on uh, today. Now, um, the story goes of a, uh, a, a news presenter in Washington who was working on a segment called uh, The Message of Christmas Hope. And uh, <clears throat> he called the British uh, Embassy to speak to the ambassador and said to the ambassador, um, you've been very kind to us throughout this year, so we'd love to offer you the chance to be involved in this, in this segment. Can I ask you, what are you hoping for for Christmas? And the ambassador said, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't accept any gifts. Very kind of you, though. The, insister, uh, the reporter insisted, um, you've been very kind to us this year. What, we'd love to include you in the segment. What are you hoping for this Christmas? Eventually, the ambassador said, okay, fine, fine, fine. Uh, I'd, I'd like a jar of mint jelly. And he forgot all about the conversation uh, until a couple of weeks later, when to his surprise, he saw the news reporter on TV introducing the segment by saying, we recently interviewed three visiting ambassador, ambassadors about what they hope for at Christmas. The German ambassador said, 
I hope to see a peaceful and prosperous year for all citizens of the planet. The Swiss ambassador said, it's my hope that world leaders will be guided towards a common goal of peaceful coexistence. And the British ambassador said, I would like a jar of mint jelly. <laughs> well, um, Christmas has always been about hope. And the reason that we are looking at these two verses in Genesis chapter 3 is that they speak hope to the human race. Let's read them out. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you've done this, cursed you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, at first glance, that looks like a, a primitive and maybe even slightly laughable account of why people and snakes don't like each other. Um, but readers of the Bible have always known that there is far more depth in these words than that, far more um, psychological, emotional, spiritual depth in these words than that, because they speak into a problem that every single person faces. Whether you consider yourself religious or not, these verses speak to a problem that every single one of us, everyone in the human race, is facing. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the problem and the promise. What's the problem then? Uh, well, if you look at in verse 14, uh, the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, what's the this? Well, we had it read verse 13. The woman said, the snake deceived me and I ate. Deception. That's the, that's the problem. Now, the snake is kind of referred to throughout the rest of the Bible as uh, Satan, the father of lies. Uh, but the big idea is he's the deceiver, deception. That's the big idea when it comes to Satan. I don't know, whatever you make of the idea of Satan, I think we can all agree that deception is a big problem for the human race. The human race is easily deceived. Loads of examples of this. But the first one that springs to mind, fake news. Um, here are some of the uh, most popular fake news uh, headlines from the last few years. Can we have the first one up? Trump's grandfather was a pimp and tax evader. His father, a member of the KKK. That was shared millions upon millions of times. Completely not true. Next one. Lottery winner arrested for dumping $200,000 worth of manure on ex-boss's lawn. Bit more fun. Still completely not true. Or my favorite one. Two altar boys were arrested for putting weed in the sensor burner. Also not true, but together those were shared mil again, millions upon millions upon millions of times all around the world. People sharing these stories, completely not true. Fake news. Now, I don't know if you guys saw the, um, the documentary on Netflix, The Social Dilemma. Did anybody see that? You see, fake news is actually becoming such, because of the algorithms that generate our news feeds and the echo chambers it creates, fake news is genuinely affecting the way that people see the world. I mean, so much so that the BBC launched a, a, a program, uh, an educating program for children to try and help them spot fake news because the way they see the world is genuinely being affected by this. We're deceived. We're easily deceived. But it's not just an external problem, this issue of deception. It's also a problem that's much closer to home for each of us. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the, the better than average syndrome. Um, I came across this reading my boss's book, um, Be True to Yourself, this week. And yes, I am hoping for brownie points by mentioning my boss's book in my talk. 
Um, but better than average syndrome, loads of research has gone into this. Apparently 98% of the UK population think that they have an above average IQ. 95% of the population think they have above average looks. And 98% think that they're in the top 50% of the nicest people in the country. So half of us think that we are cleverer, better looking and nicer than we are. And obviously, of us, we're all thinking, yeah, but it's the other half, <laughs> right? That's the problem with deception. You don't realize when you're deceived. We have this remarkable ability to kid ourselves. And we can kid ourselves about things that really matter. I wonder if you can think of any examples in your life of a time that you have rationalized something that you know is wrong. Think of a time um, from when I was a young man and I was in a relationship that was clearly a damaging relationship to everyone involved. I mean, objectively, it was obviously wrong. But at the time, I thought about it really hard and I was convinced, completely convinced, that it was the right thing to do. With this remarkable ability to deceive ourselves. We are deceived. Now, what do you do with that? How do you account for that problem in the human race? The Bible claims that if you, if you trace it back far enough, this problem of deception, right? if you follow the stream back to the source, then you find the original lie, the father of lies, if you like. And it's a lie about God. Now, it might sound fanciful to some people, but I think we need to be careful here, because if we can kid ourselves about fundamental things like what we're like, and our relationships. Who's to say that we're not kidding ourselves about God? That brings us back to the garden, to this original deception, the deception that lies behind all the other deception. I'm just going to read verses one to six of that, of that uh, chapter. Now, the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree of the garden that's in the middle, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for, uh, for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, for some people here, you may have seen those words uh, loads and loads and loads of times. But there's just two things I'd love us to notice here about that deception. The first is, do you see the way the snake casts God as a spoil sport? Check out verse one. Did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Now, in the story, that's not what God said, right? God had said you can eat fruit from any tree apart from one. But you see what the snake is doing here? He's casting God as restrictive. That's the picture that he's painting. We'll check out verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God's holding you back. He's, he's, he's creating this picture of God, like, I don't know, a Victorian head teacher who wants to spoil your fun. He wants to hold you back. He wants to restrict you. The, the deception here, right? And I really want you to get this. The deception here is submitting to God 
will spoil your life. That's what he's saying. Submitting to God will spoil your life. The second half of the deception there is in verse 4. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. Now, again, in this story, God's been really, really clear about the consequences of ignoring and rebelling against him. But do you see what the snake is saying here? It's, it's fine. It's fine. You can ignore God. There won't be any consequences. You can live your life as if God's not real. It's fine. You can ignore God without consequences. Those are the two key, key bits of the deception, yeah? Submitting uh, to God will spoil your life, and you can ignore him without consequences. And the first humans found that a very appealing way of thinking, just like we all do. And they turned away from God. Now, the thing that I think is so clever about this story is that that is exactly the same lie that every one of us hears whispered today. Those same two things. We hear that whisper still. Submitting to God will spoil your life. You don't need this. You're better off without it. Keep God at arm's length. Maybe come to a service, but, but keep him at arm's length. If you really let him in, this is going to spoil things. It was getting in the way. It's fine. And the second half of the deception, you can ignore him. You won't face judgment. It's fine. There won't be any consequences for ignoring God with your life, for living in his world like he's not there. Is it possible that you and I have been taken in by lies about God? Is it possible that we're living in that lie? You see, guys, there are, some, there are some things in life you can be deceived about. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm deceived about how good-looking I am, and it hasn't hurt me too badly yet. <laughs> but there are things in life that if you're deceived about them, it really matters. If you're deceived about, I don't know, a relationship, and you're living a lie, that can really hurt. If you're deceived about God, how tragic would that be? Just for a moment, just picture your life. Okay, picture your life, and imagine that there is a God behind it all, who loves you, and he's good, and he wants to bless you and lift you. But, but you believe a lie instead. You think, no, he's trying to spoil things, so you push him out and hold him at arm's length. Would that not be the biggest tragedy of your life, to believe that lie, that deception? That's the problem. The problem is the human race, we're, we're, we're deceived. We're easily deceived. And behind all of that other deception, it all comes from this idea that we are deceived about God. Thinking that he's submitted to him will spoil your life and that we can ignore him without consequences. That's, that's the problem. We're deceived. Well, if that's the problem, then um, what's, what's the promise? What does God do about it? What is the promise of hope? Well, God makes a promise here in these verses. Check out verse 14. Uh, the Lord God said to the snake, because you've done this, cursed are you above all, all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Uh, eating dust, we speak today, don't we, about licking the dust. It's a picture of abject humiliation. The power of this deception is not equal to God's power. It's, this little rebellion is exposed. It's utterly humiliated in the end. But do you notice that this curse on the snake, the deceiver, it all revolves um, in verse 15 around the offspring of the woman. 
Right, check this out, verse 15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Do you see the he there? Third person singular. It zooms right in on one individual. One individual offspring of the woman will arise to fight this snake. And his heel will be struck, will be injured. But in that moment, he'll crush the head of the snake. So you notice the two different locations that injuries happen on the heel and on the head. See, if, if, if the snake was, was crushed, I don't know, was struck on its back or its neck or its tail. I mean, that's all the same thing with a snake, come to think of it, isn't it? <laughs> but if it was struck there, that might, not be, that might not be final. But if it's crushed, its head is crushed. That's the final death blow. That's the promise here that there will be a deliverer that will come who will have the power to crush that deception, to crush that power over us. And that's, that's a, uh, this starts a process that runs right through the Bible of the authors looking for someone born of a woman who can break the power of sin and deception over us. Um, and that is why Christians get so excited at Christmas, because 2,000 years ago in Palestine, the authors of the New Testament thought they had met the answer to this promise. The people that interacted with Jesus thought that they had found in him that power that can break the deception that hangs over the human race. And they wrote words like this. Could we have these words up from John chapter 1? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Love to draw your attention to the first part and the last part um, of that verse. So the first part of that verse, you see the word became flesh, that is, was born into the human race, right? Was born of a woman. So comes from this, this line, remember the promise? That it would come from the woman's offspring. Look at the last half of the verse. He will be full of grace and truth. See, one of the ways that Jesus crushes the snake is by shining the light of truth into the darkness. That's the picture here. To a world that's covered in the darkness of that deception, he breaks in and he shines the light so that we can know truth, real truth that's solid that you can build your life on. Now, he shows us the truth of God in two ways, with his life and with his death. So firstly, with his life, you look at Jesus' life, right? And what do you see? You see him caring for the downcast. Now, you see him having compassion on the weak and the poor. You see him restoring people's health, restoring people's dignity. You see him um, opposing the proud and arrogant, and injustice. You see him overflowing with abundant wisdom and grace and generosity. Now, I don't know about you, but if that is what God is like, I'm interested. You see the difference there between that and the picture the snake was painting. Jesus' life shows us the truth, what God is really like. But he also shows us what God is really like in his death. 
Remember verse 15 says that his heel will be struck as he crushes the snake's heads. Well, as Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, that's what the Bible says was happening. He was struck. He was betrayed. He was accursed. He was battered. He was scourged. He was spat on. He was nailed to a cross and he hung there in darkness and desertion as he took the punishment that our sins deserved. And you can almost imagine in that moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross, the snake laughing in triumph. It's worked. The deception's worked. Humans have killed the son of God. But even in that very moment, as Christ cries, it is finished. He feels that iron heel crushing his head. Because in this moment, we see the very heart of God, the very truth of what he's like. See, on the cross, we see how much God loves you and I and what he would go through in order to restore us back to him as Christ paid the price for our sins. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him might not die but have eternal life. Now, remember the snake's deception, right? That God wants to spoil your life. That there's no consequence to ignoring him. Well, the cross just smashes that out of the water, right? The cross shows that that is complete nonsense. Because if God would go through this for me, how could I ever think that what he wants is to spoil my life? That just wouldn't make any sense, would it? To make an enormous sacrifice, to, 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 to redeem something, only to spoil it. It just makes no sense. You know, if this is how much God loves you and me, of course he's not wanting to ruin our lives. He'll make changes. He calls us to a life of love and sacrifice. It's not always easy, but it's always for our good. It's always for the best. See, Christ liberates us from living in the dark. He leads us into the truth, to live in the light of God's love and goodness. I just want to finish with one final question, really. Which picture of God are you believing? Are you believing the snake's picture of God? That submitting to God will spoil your life. That ignoring him won't have any consequences. Or are you believing the picture of God that we see in Jesus Christ? A God of love and compassion and grace who loves you so much that he would die to forgive you. Which of those pictures of God are you believing? I suppose the invitation is, um, if anybody would like to find out any more about that, would like to find out more about this idea of Jesus shining the truth into the darkness, we're going to be running a course in January called Honest Questions, where we, uh, uh, each week we take one big question that faces humanity, like how do I live a life that matters, or where's hope in a world filled with pain? And as we do that, we examine this claim that Jesus shows us the truth about who God really is. If you'd like to know more about that, please do chat to me afterwards. Or if you're watching online, there's a video below with more information. You can click the link. Um, we'd love to have you come and join us there. The problem is that we're deceived. The promise that God makes here is that there is a deliverer from that deception in Jesus Christ, that he breaks in to shine the truth about God, that you and I may know him. What are you going to do about that? Let me pray. 
Father, thank you so much that you didn't leave us in the dark, even though we turn our backs on you, even though we hold you at arm's length. I thank you so much that Christ broke in to shine uh, the truth of your love into this world. Thank you so much that you would love us enough to die for us. Amen.